Good morning. Oh, so good to be home and be with you. Um, Pastor Craig, and it's a privilege to be able to share the word with you this morning. We just have a word of prayer first, though, huh? Father in heaven, we do pray and ask now that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word. Did you protect me from misspeaking it? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One word about that video. Um, don't try this at home. Okay. Uh, that was done on a closed track with a professional driver. Somebody asked me, they said, so did the squeal, the squeal marks were put in? I said, no, that was actually me laying rubber <laughs> in an escape. So that shows how much we love you, that we would risk our life and limb to bring you a video of that quality. Today, we uh, start a new series here at Shepherd's Gate entitled Christmas Remembered. And perhaps you have some memories um, of Christmases and traditions at your house. Um, I know that um, in my life, when I was growing up, one tradition that we had uh, was uh, Dad every December, and it was a special candle. Uh, it was a green glass thing, and it had reindeer and snowflakes and things on it. And he would pull this special candle out once a year during the month of December. And uh, every night uh, he would light the candle and then he would read us parts of uh, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And then we would have a devotion and talk about, you know, Jesus and we would say our prayers. And then we'd go to bed. So that was one tradition uh, that we had in our home when I was growing up. Um, and when I got married, uh, Sue and I, we started a tradition. Uh, our first Christmas together, she sewed all of the ornaments for our tree. Uh, candies, uh, canes, and hearts, and we, a few have survived uh, and still make it to the tree uh, currently. Um, and then what we did was from then on, our Christmas tree always told a story. Every ornament on the tree told a story of our family and our family life, an event of some sort. Uh, we would go on vacation, and we would buy an ornament to remember the vacation. Christine and Stephen, they would make um, an ornament in school, in elementary school. They would bring them home and go, oh, look what I found. We'd go, oh, that's so nice. And uh, we would put the ornament on the tree, right? And so it, it grew throughout, the, uh, throughout our marriage. And so every, it wasn't one of these store-bought things. Um, so we have had our church. Perhaps you have had uh, your traditions and your memories of Christmas's past. There is one tradition in Christmas, though, that I think that we need to vote on and to get rid of. And that is, that is Glitter. Yeah, can I, come on, come on, give me the, we need to get rid of glitter. It's everywhere. It's like Memorial Day. We're vacuuming up glitter around the house. You know, it's that time of the season. You walk up and talk to people and you try to have a decent conversation with them, right? And they got glitter right in the energy. And you're like focused on the glitter. And you're like thinking to yourself, should I tell them it's there? I wonder how the glitter got there. Should I wipe it off? We need to get rid of glitter. Christmas remembered. Perhaps you have memories of Christmas and there's some traditions that you have in your family. Maybe there's some traditions that have changed over the years. You know, our God is in the memory business. Our God is in the memory business and he reminds us of things from the past to show us just how important the present is. The present is. And in this series, what we're going to be doing over the course of this month in Christmas Remembered is we're going to be taking a look at an Old Testament scripture verse and then taking a look at how that has been fulfilled uh, in the New Testament. And as we do that, 
we're going to see just how intentionally, how intentionally, intentional our God was in sending Jesus Christ into the world so that you and I might have eternal life through Jesus. And in this series, what we're going to be doing is taking a look at the place of Christ's birth, the people involved, the promise connected to it, and then the purpose of his birth, the purpose of his birth. And in so doing, you too are going to be challenged. I am going to be challenged. That we then go out, we then go out and we share this with the people who in our life, our family, our friends, all who we come in contact with, that meaning and that purpose, that what it means for us and what it means for them as we go through this series. And today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to take a look at the place where Jesus was born and why God chose that place. And just what can we take away from that today? What can we take away from that and apply to our daily life here in 2018, especially in the world that we live in, especially in the world that we live in. We live in a world that is just, sometimes it just seems so chaotic and, and hurried, especially coming into this season. We're going to start getting pulled sideways uh, and tempted to get distracted uh, by the season and all that goes on, all the hustle and bustle with it, uh, to uh, give up or to lose our sense of peace and contentment in Christ in the world that tells us that we have to have everything and that we have to do everything. And so what can the place where Christ was born, what can, how, what can we learn from that uh, today? Because it is important. A place is important. The place we find in, Ma- in Micah 5.2, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Give me a little bit of background on this. Uh, Micah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he wrote this prophecy roughly 700 years uh, before Christ was born. Now Micah, Micah, if you didn't know this, Micah lived at the very same time as Isaiah, another Old Testament prophet. Now, the difference between the two is that Isaiah, he prophesied and ministered in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, whereas Micah, he prophesied and he ministered in the countryside, the countryside, kind of like the suburbs of Jerusalem, okay? Now, we hear a lot about Isaiah, right? I mean, Isaiah is one of those big, we always hear about him. I mean, after all, who hasn't heard Handel's Messiah in the Hallelujah Chorus, right? That's based on Isaiah 9.6. But it seems like when it comes to Micah, it's like crickets. <laughs> we don't know a whole lot about Micah. Well, one thing is significant about Micah is that he nailed it. He nailed the exact place where Jesus was to be born. And in fact, it was this passage from Micah that was used when the wise men came 700 years later seeking the Christ child. It tells us that in Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 6. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, so it was written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem in Judea, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So this prophecy by Micah came at a time in the history of God's people 
when things seemed absolutely hopeless. And so this prophecy gave them hope. It gave them peace of Christ. At this time, Ephrathah was a region associated with Bethlehem, and the people who lived there were just a small part of the entire tribe of Judah. Bethlehem, just five miles from Jerusalem. So Bethlehem, why would God pick Bethlehem? Why would he pick this place as the place of Christ's birth and not Jerusalem? I mean, after all, Jerusalem is like, that's where the temple is. That's where people go to worship God and for the Passover and all of the other feasts. People make their way there. Um, It's the largest city in the country. And all of the hustle and the bustle uh, that comes with it, that's where the king lives. Why not Jerusalem? Why lowly, in the country, out of the way, quiet Bethlehem? Well, one reason is, is that Bethlehem is where David was born. Uh, David, uh, he, David was a shepherd boy, and he became, you know, David and Goliath, that David, wrote Psalm 23. David actually became a king of Israel. And Bethlehem is where David was born, and also where he was anointed, where he was anointed king of Israel. It's where common folk lived and worked. Before David was a king, he was also a lowly shepherd boy. And so now from that lowly shepherd boy in this place, Bethlehem, a new king had come. And Jesus was from the line of David, the family tree. He was one of David's descendants. So we see here that Jesus comes to connect, comes to connect with common people, you and me. He doesn't come to a place of kings, but sometimes he shows up in the quiet places. He shows up in the unexpected places. Often he draws our attention away from the hustle and the bustle. He draws our attention to quiet time, places where we wouldn't normally expect him. It often takes quiet places for us to hear and understand what his word is saying to us, especially, again, in this season of Christmas. So my question for you this morning is, do you have a Bethlehem? Do you have a place where you go for quiet time with Jesus? We need those places. We need quiet places. If you don't, I would urge you to find one. But first, what you need to do is call a time out in your life. We live in a fast-paced world. Let's admit it. We live in a fast-paced world uh, that demands that we keep up with it. And we fall into the trap of trying to do just that. When you live a fast-paced life, it's inevitable that what's going to happen is relationships are going to suffer. You're going to miss the opportunity to strengthen a relationship. You're going to miss an opportunity to a responsibility is going to be forgotten. It's the same with Jesus. You cannot have a fast relationship with Jesus. He wants us to be with him, to spend time with him in quiet places. So we need, what we need to do is call, first call, time out. Timeouts are good. Timeouts are good. Every parent knows that, right? <laughs> yeah, I hear a clap, claps. Timeouts are good. What do sports teams use timeouts for? They use timeouts to regroup. Now, the Lions, they could use more than what they're actually supposed to get. <laughs> But timeouts are used to do what? They're used to regroup, right? 
They're used to decide, okay, just how are we, we going to go about meeting this opposition and overcome it? Okay? The same is true in our time out. How are we going to take time out to overcome the opposition? What are we going to do? What's going to be our strategy to overcome the world? We need it to regroup. That's what Jesus did. Tells us in Mark chapter 135, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. See, what had had happened on this day was Jesus. Jesus had been out uh, preaching among the people. Uh, It was also a day that he healed Peter's mother. And at the end of the day, just when it looked like Jesus could kick back and kind of relax and have some quiet time, it tells us in 33, verse 33, that the whole town gathered at his door. And they came with requests. Say, I heard what you did. I heard you healed so-and-so. Can you do that for my son? I heard that you relieved this demon-possessed person of this. Can you do that? And they came with all these requests. And Jesus, out of love for them, he ministered well into the night. Now, you might think, well, that's God. He can do that. He can be up 24 hours a day. But you have to remember that he was also human. And he would grow tired and weary just like you and I. And so what, would ha- what happened? What happened after all of this? Well, Jesus took time to get away. It tells us that he went out to a desolate place in the morning while it was still dark, and there he prayed. He called a time out to regroup and to be with God the Father. That's the example for you and for me, that we need to call a time out just as Jesus did. He has called you into a relationship to be with him, to spend that time with him. And when we do, we will discover that we do not have to do everything, and we do not have to have everything. We will also find out that our identity is in Jesus Christ. It's not in how we look. It's not in what we have, but rather that it's in Jesus Christ. And there, when we take that time out in our quiet place, our Bethlehem, we find out what God's plan is for our life. We regain focus. There, we find out we're reminded of God's love for us as it tells us in 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That Christ came and found you and I where we were at. And he loved us so much that he chose us to be his kids and then went to the cross and died so that we might have eternal life. In quiet time with Jesus and his word we discover his love. We also find peace and contentment. Life, yes, is hurried. Life can become chaotic. And all of the situations that we face in our daily life, again, can pull us away from having that peace and that contentment that comes from knowing Jesus. Just ask any single mom who's out there and trying to hold it together, works every day, has all the things that go on with raising the children, needs to have quiet time. The widow or widower who sits at home still mourning the loss of their spouse. Salesperson who's constantly on the go, traveling away from family. All of these things contribute to temptation to lose that peace and contentment that we have in Jesus. We live a hurried life. and Maybe perhaps we're always concentrating on what's the next thing and we're not taking that time to just be in that moment where God has placed us and what does he want to do with us in that moment. That's my struggle. That's my own personal struggle, and I'm, I'm trying to work on that. Sometimes my, my days are going so fast that I'm always constantly thinking about what's next. 
that I just need to think about what God has going on here right now, just be in this place. Happened to me uh, yesterday. I was on my way to an appointment, and the phone rang, and it's like a 90-degree turn, off in a different direction. Quiet time with Jesus. Take time, take a time out to be with Jesus. Pray, open your Bible, and you will discover and learn peace and contentment. That's what Paul did. That's what Paul did in Philippians chapter 4. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Now, if anyone had any reason to complain and to quit and to be discontent, it was Paul. Here he is writing to the church at Philippi, and he's writing to them from a jail cell which is actually a hole in the ground with a lid. And yet he writes, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance. Contentment, you know, being content is not a schedule issue. It's not a money issue. It is a spiritual issue. Circumstances do not bring contentment. You can change your circumstances and still be discontent. Possessions do not bring contentment. You can have all the money in the world and still be discontent. Contentment is a gift. It is not a goal. Paul writes in Philippians 4.11, I have learned in whatever situation to be content. He didn't seek it. He learned it. He said, I have learned. He learned that contentment comes from the presence of Christ. Contentment is a gift of the God of peace. And he can replace our discontentment with his peace. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. It's not what you own that brings contentment, it's who owns you. It is not your situation that brings contentment, it is Jesus Christ. You don't even have to like the situation that you may be having at work, or you may not Paul didn't. It's not like he was in jail going like, whippee, I'm in jail. But yet he learned contentment. He learned that peace that comes from Jesus Christ. And we can also have that peace. That peace of knowing that he brings forgiveness. And that forgiveness is free. He brings his love no matter what is happening in your life. And he will meet your needs. He will give you what you need when you need it. Even when your life may be out of control, you can trust that God is in control. God is at work even in the midst of the most difficult situations to perfect his work in you and me. God's gift of contentment and peace becomes your strength and it becomes my strength. Place, a quiet place with Jesus is important. It's in that quiet place with Jesus and his word and prayer that we discover his love, his peace, and contentment in the midst of all that we have going on in our daily life. Again, in Micah 5, 2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. You know, Bethlehem was also the place that the shepherds that were out in the field that night were sent to see the Savior. And being a shepherd in those days, as it is today, is not easy work. It's humble work. It's hard work. 
It's, in fact, shepherds in that day were not even allowed to testify in a court of law because they were on the lowest of the social scale. So here you have these shepherds that are out in the field that night. And what did the angel say to them? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. It's that peace, that peace of, that comes to us between God the Father and us and that inner peace of knowing that you are saved that you are saved. That's the peace that the angels were singing about that night to those shepherds. Then told them, it's in Bethlehem. And the shepherds went to Bethlehem. And there they encountered the living word. They encountered Jesus Christ. And they discovered that peace and that contentment that the angels had sung about. But then what happened next? What happened? The shepherds went right back to being shepherds. <laughs> they went right back to what they were doing in their daily life. Only it tells us in Luke chapter 2, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God and told everyone who they came in contact with. They went back to what they were doing, filled with the peace of Christ and finding the contentment in whatever situation they were in, in all that they, they were dealing with in their daily life, they went with joy. They went with joy. They found what is true for you and for me, that Jesus is the key. Jesus is the key to our contentment and our peace. And from that quiet place of Bethlehem, they went out and told others. From that quiet place of yours, that Bethlehem, you go out with joy and you tell others of that joy, of that peace and that contentment that you have discovered and learned in Jesus Christ to go out and to tell them because they are there and they are waiting to hear it from you. One other thing about Bethlehem is that the word Bethlehem actually means house of bread. And so out of this house of bread came Jesus Christ who said of himself, I am the bread of life. And now we are going to prepare our hearts and our minds as we do here at Shepherd's Gate in a time of prayer and confession to receive the bread of life, Jesus Christ, and the forgiveness of sins that he offers us through Holy Communion, that he is in with and under the bread and the wine, and that we are actually receiving that forgiveness and that peace that he offers us. Because we need it. We need to be reminded of it and to be forgiven. So if you join with me. Heavenly Father, we do indeed come to you this morning. We thank and praise you again for all that you have done in our daily life, that you sent your Son into this world to live and to die and rise again for us. We confess to you that in our daily life we have allowed so much to come into our life that it has upset and distracted us and even taken away the peace and contentment that comes from knowing you as our Lord and Savior, that we have followed the world's ways, thinking that we have to do it all and see it all and have it all. We pray and ask, O oh Lord, now that you would grant us forgiveness for this and for all of our sins, for all of the words and the thoughts, desires, and deeds that have not been according to being one of your kids. We pray and ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take eat, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, 
and he blessed it. And he gave it to them, and he said, drink from it, all of you. This cup is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Just do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Come now and receive that forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. All has been prepared for you.